Welcome to the 10th installment of Whiskey Frequently Asked Questions, where you guys submit questions and I answer them on this podcast. For those of you who are new here, my name is Chris and I am the host of the Whiskey Noobs podcast, which you are listening to right now. Hopefully you are aware of that. And today is, as I mentioned, one of our Frequently Asked Questions episodes where listeners submit any question through my Instagram at whiskey underscore noobs. On my story on Wednesdays, I post a question sticker, and you can ask a question through it, and I will answer it here on the show, which is what I am about to do right now. Before we get to those questions, though, it is not an episode where I am doing a full review of an entire whiskey and giving you background of it or anything like that, which means I do have a mystery whiskey review. So if you haven't heard me do this before, if you haven't been around very long, I do a mystery review, a review of a mystery whiskey, rather, uh, where I review the whiskey, I give you some of the basic notes, and you try to guess what whiskey it is, and it is a whiskey that has been on the show, so you can see any past show, the whiskey that has been on it, or if you're on the email list, you can look back through the email list, and you can find the whiskeys we've had, and this is going to be one of them, so let's try it right now. One of the great feelings of drinking whiskey is coming back to a whiskey that you haven't had very much, there's a hint, and Liking it more than you remembered liking it, or at least being reminded how much you liked it. And that's what's happening for me right now. Um, So I haven't had this whiskey too much, but I am being reminded of how much I like it. And so this whiskey, it's very sweet. Um, It does have a little bit of alcohol to it, but there's a, a strong sugary type sweetness with just a little bit of fruit to it. Uh, And that's probably as in-depth as I'm going to get for right now, but hopefully that gives you a little bit of something to go on. So moving on to our questions, the first one we have is, how long have you been in the bourbon society slash drinking bourbon? Uh, Now, one point of clarification for this, and this person might already know this, but it's something that I've gotten the vibe some people don't know, is I do all whiskeys. I don't just do bourbon, but I do a lot of content on bourbon because a lot of folks ask me about bourbon. In America, bourbon is like the thing that people ask about. But to answer your question, how long have I been in the society? Not very long. I, I kind of put myself through whiskey boot camp and learned a lot very fast. <clears throat> I'm one of those people who you might know, it might remind you of somebody that you know, <laughs> where I get into a hobby and I go head first into the hobby. And that was me with whiskey, except with some hobbies, I don't last very long, but whiskey is one where I'm, I'm still very into it. It was like the hobby that stuck. Um, but when I get interested in something like I did with whiskey, I go after it very quickly. So I've probably been drinking whiskey. I've definitely been drinking whiskey since it was legal for me to drink whiskey. So since I was 21, um, and I'll be 24 here very, very, very soon as of the airing of this show. Um, and so three years is the number, um, officially that I've been drinking whiskey. I certainly tried it a couple times before I was of legal age because it is legal, at least in Ohio, it's legal for your parents to allow you to to try alcohol. And as I've mentioned before, I got into whiskey because my dad was into whiskey. So officially three years, let's just say three years. And I, like I said, I got into it very quickly. Um, I got into it the most probably about two and a half years ago. So three years ago, start trying it, liking it, whatever. About two and a half, I think, if I remember correctly. About two and a half years ago, I started every paycheck, which was every two weeks, I would buy myself one bottle to try. 
and I would not finish the bottle or anything. It wasn't like, oh, I went through a bottle every two weeks. It was I would buy a bottle, I'd try a couple glasses of it, and I'd put it on my shelf, and that is how I actually grew my collection. And that really helped increase my love for whiskey because having multiple different whiskeys to try side by side really helps you get to know it a lot better and gets you into it a lot more. In my opinion, I always tell people to try different kinds of whiskey, especially side by side if you can. So about three years is how long I've been into it. Um, The podcast, just over a year, and the Instagram, just before the podcast, which was at the time just for advertising the podcast is the only reason I had the Instagram. Uh, But now it's kind of grown into where the Instagram and the TikTok are doing well on their own, and the podcast is just another part of the media that I do. So I'm really happy with, with how it's grown in this past year or so, and I'm really happy with where I've been in my whiskey journey. There's still so much to learn. If there's anything that you take from that, take the fact that I have been drinking whiskey for three years consistently, going through, like I said, whiskey boot camp, learning as much as I could about the hobby. And I still have so much to learn. So there's plenty out there to be learned uh, and to try, not just to learn things about whiskey, but to try. As I've mentioned before, you can zero in on specific things and really just study about that specific thing, like the different types of scotch, the different regions of Scotland, the different finishes that something can have. It is a huge hobby, which is why I love it and why it has stuck, because you can continue to learn and to experience new things all the way throughout it. So that was a really long answer, but that's a really good question because I like talking about you know how we got to where we are now, and that is how. So the next question is actually a really good point because it's one that might actually be an episode. I've been meaning to bring it up, and it is, what are my thoughts on whiskey ownership and sharing such as MGP? Now, for those of you who don't know, MGP is Midwest Grain Products, and you may have heard of them, you may not have. This is something that probably like a year or two into the hobby became as like kind of a big shock to me. It is, there's this, MGP is one of them, but there's multiple different uh, large distilleries like this, and it is this distillery where they produce the whiskey for a ton of the brands that you probably know and probably drink. I didn't look up specific brands, but I highly encourage you to look it up because the list is exhaustive. There's so many brands that this one distillery produces the whiskey for. And I think it's important to know. And so the person asked, like, what are my thoughts? Like, do I have a problem with it? Some folks have a really big problem with it. And I think as long as you are transparent about it, I don't have an issue with it. So as long as you aren't saying that we are some mom and pop distillery that, you know, it's been in the family for generations. I learned to distill whiskey from my dad. And it just turns out that you're buying from MGP. They're your source of all your whiskey. I don't like that very much. But if you are transparent about it, I don't think it's a bad thing. In fact, I think it's a good thing because what's happening is these people are going to MGP and they're saying, you know, I want to produce this whiskey or whatever. This is a very, very basic version of what's going on. I might do an episode on the in-depth version. And they're basically saying, you know, I want to produce a whiskey, blah, 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 telling them kind of the types of things they're looking for. And they try whiskeys and they decide, yeah, this is the, the recipe or whatever. This is what I want to bottle. I like this. And so this is what I'm going to do. And so then they just buy it from MGP. Now, <clears throat> The good side of this is it lowers the barrier to entry into selling whiskey, into having your own quote-unquote distillery, even though somebody else is making the whiskey for you. Because if you think about it, a lot of the whiskeys that you drink 
almost all of them are at least two years old. A lot of them are even older than that. And so you can't just get into this industry and not make money for two years unless you're coming from a lot of money or something like that. But if you are your average person trying to get into the industry, it's highly likely that you're going to need a source or somebody to source your whiskey, even if you are running a distillery on your own and you're having to age that whiskey while not making any money from it, then you can use something like MGP and actually make money. And I don't have a problem with that at all because I think it helps us get more brands and more, um, you know, exposure to all of these different brands and all these small and up and coming brands. And it gives people the chance to actually start their own distillery and to distill it themselves. So those are my thoughts on that sort of a thing on, you know, sourcing your whiskey from one of the giant distilleries. I, I would say that I don't have as much of a problem with it as other people do. But like I mentioned, that might be a good episode to really dig into, and I can even do more research on my own end and, and bring some more info to the table. So I appreciate that question. Now, the next question is, do I have a preference of proof? This might be one of the rare scenarios where I tell you, yes, I do, but it's not a specific proof. Like I can't be like, oh yeah, 110 to 120 is the proof that I like, but it's definitely something with a little more kick to it. Depending on the situation, there are definitely times where I think 80 proof has its place, but even just moving from 80 to 90, I almost always have a better experience and then so on and so on. And then you get into the higher dollar whiskeys that are also higher proof and they're just absolutely delicious. It definitely depends a little bit on what you want from the experience. If you want complexity, like if you're like, I want to go for the most flavor, the most complexity then you're probably going to go for higher proof because that those two things usually come with a little bit higher proof. Now, if you're just wanting to casually sip, you're just wanting to enjoy a glass of whiskey, maybe you're watching a movie or something, then maybe you don't want something super aggressive. It all, it all depends on the experience that you're looking for. But my preference in general is a, a high enough, let me think of the best way I want to word this, high enough that I recognize that's got some burn to it. And then... Not so high, but I, I guess there isn't really a, a so high that I can't take it anymore as long as it's made well. You know, there I you drink something up to like 120 and it's still made really well, then it still tastes pretty darn good. So it's really hard to nail that down. But I would say for sure something that's not boring. But I'm also not one of those guys who's going to be like, oh, yeah, I only drink cask strength. I only drink barrel proof. I definitely have 80 proof whiskeys that I like without a doubt. And there's no shame in that. I don't like I think those people I'm going to make a statement here it might be a hot take. Those people who say, you know, oh, I'm only into the higher proof stuff. I, you know, you should never drink anything under 80 unless you're a beginner or anything down to 80 unless you're a beginner. That gives me the same exact vibe as the people who are just like, yeah, I love spicy food. I don't eat anything if it's not spicy. Oh, you think this is spicy? This isn't spicy to me. Gives off that same energy. <laughs> I saw TikToks about those spicy food people, and I thought those remind me of the whiskey people who are like, oh, I only drink. You think this burns? I don't think it burns at all. It's like let people enjoy the things that they enjoy. That's just the way I am. But my preference is usually a little bit more kick, but I will absolutely sit down and enjoy a glass of 80 proof. Okay, moving on to the next question. Can anything other than a flavored whiskey contain honey? Asking for vegans, it says. Um, no. If you're talking about whiskey, I mean, 
at least in America, I, I hope we're talking about like in America. No, it's got to be flavored. Now, there is the rule in Canada, and I don't know. I think this only applies to other spirits, but I suppose it could be another spirit that has honey in it. Uh, in Canada, if I'm not mistaken, Canadian whiskey, there's like a 9.09% rule, and you can have 9.09% of a different substance in the barrel, a different spirit, I think. But I don't know if it has to be a spirit or if like mead would count, and that would have honey in it. So... In the most general cases, in the most most cases, I guess, probably not. It's probably got to be called a flavored whiskey. Um, but you can always do a little bit of background research, try to figure out what's in it, look at the ingredients and whatnot. But usually, especially, let me put it this way, bourbon is not going to have honey in it. Um, so I guess do with that information what you will. I, I actually was planning coming into this episode to be like, yeah, no, you can't. And then I thought about the Canadian whiskey rule, and I'm like, ah, I bet you might be able to have honey in there and still just call it a Canadian whiskey. So that's a place that I might have to do a little bit more research. But my answer, especially being vegan or like being allergic to something, something like that, is always like do your own research for sure. Um, do a little bit closer looking and try to figure that out on your own. I mean, you can probably find the mash bill or you'll be able to tell, you'll be able to find online if somebody added honey to it for sure. That would be something I think would be advertised a bit more. You would be aware of it. Uh, whereas most whiskeys, they're not going to do that. And as I mentioned, bourbon, you can't add anything that will flavor the bourbon. You just cannot, if it's still called a bourbon could be, if I think you might be able to label it a flavored bourbon, but it would, once again, it would say flavored on it. So kind of like what they do with finished bourbons where it's a, a bourbon that was finished and so it's no longer technically bourbon because you can't finish bourbon and other things as i've mentioned before might be able to do a trick like that but a, your average run-of-the-mill bourbon not gonna have any honey in it the next question i i think i answered actually but it was posted probably two or three weeks ago and since then i have posted the episode that has the infinity bottle but the next question was how's the infinity infinity bottle going are you still adding to it and it was funny when i saw it i was like well i think they're gonna get the answer to that question here in this next episode so i recorded that episode shortly after that with the infinity bottle review but yes we are still doing the infinity bottle it is still fun to see the culmination of all the different whiskeys that we've had on the show so that's pretty enjoyable and I just did a review of it pretty recently. The next question, what is your favorite bourbon for an old-fashioned? So I have an answer to this, and I don't have an answer to this. The reason I don't have an answer to this is because I one of my favorite parts about old-fashions is you can use different bourbons, you can use different bitters, you can use different sweetening methods, and you get all of these super different old-fashions. And I love that. I love trying a bar or a restaurant's old-fashioned and like learning, I feel like, a little bit about the restaurant. How much care do they put into it? Is it just dumb luck? Did they come up with some really cool combination? So for that reason, I wouldn't say I have a favorite bourbon for an old-fashioned, but I do kind of because making old-fashions at home, I, for the longest time, used Makers 46, and I actually haven't for a while, so I need to get another bottle and do that again. But at the time, I loved Makers 46 for old-fashions. So if like somebody were to just ask me, gun to my head immediately, what's your favorite bourbon for an old-fashioned? I'd be like, ah, Makers 46, probably. <laughs> so that is uh, my favorite, which is technically a finished bourbon, wink, wink. Um, but it is pretty good, and I enjoyed Old Fashions with that in it for a very long time. 
Moving on to the next question, have you done a tasting of Japanese whiskeys? The short answer is yes, I do have an episode on Suntory Whiskey Toki. Uh, the long answer is not as much as I'd like to, so I actually would like to get a Japanese whiskey on the show again semi-soon because we, that's the only one we've had on the show actually this far. So I'd like to do a little bit more with Japanese whiskeys, get a little bit more experience there. Um, but as I mentioned, a lot of my listeners and followers ask for bourbon content, and then the ones that don't ask for bourbon usually ask for scotch. So I do a lot of content on both of those. But I do cover all the types of whiskeys in this show, especially in the beginning. We went through all the categories, um, and I will continue to do that. So I, I'll have to get another Japanese whiskey on the show here soon. The next question is, do I have any thoughts on accepting audio questions? It's easy to record voice with iPhone and Android. So this person is asking if instead of typing out your questions on Instagram, you could submit like audio clips of yourself asking the question. Um, I actually haven't thought of that previously. If there is a demand for it, I can probably look into adding it. Um, but up to this point, I haven't really thought of doing that. I, I suppose I would definitely look into at some point doing like live audio questions, like being able to, to ask a question while the show is going on, almost like on a radio show. But I haven't considered people actually like recording themselves and sending themselves recorded asking these questions. So that's an interesting idea. And as I mentioned, if, if there's a push for it, if people want it, uh, then I can definitely look into adding that. But I, I haven't considered it up to this point. So that's an interesting question. Okay, moving right on down here. What is my favorite up-and-coming distillery that distills and bottles its own stuff? This is a tough one because I spend a lot of time covering all the staples and all the things that people want, which are usually established distilleries. I do have an answer, though, but I don't know if it's like I don't want people thinking, oh, I've tried all of these up-and-coming distilleries and this is my favorite one. It's more like I've had a couple up-and-coming distilleries, especially a couple that reach out to me and have me do reviews for them. Um, but I think my favorite that I've had so far is probably Middle West Spirits. They sent me a couple. They sent me two different kinds and I had bought a third kind from them for the show. I bought um, the wheat whiskey. And I really enjoy the wheat whiskey, and I really enjoy the bourbon. And I'm not a big rye guy, but I did still enjoy their rye. So they might be my favorite up-and-comer just because they were always super nice and super courteous talking to me, um, you know, messaging and emailing me. Uh, and I think they have pretty good stuff. Uh, everything they've sent me, I've not been disappointed, which I guess the, is the most you can ask for for an up-and-coming distillery. I also don't know if you want what you count as up-and-coming. I believe they've been around since like 2010. But as far as distilleries go, I feel like that's not very old. So I would consider them up and coming a little bit. But they're also widely distributed because I want to mention a place that's widely distributed on the show so that people who listen to the show can get it. So that is probably my answer. And as I mentioned, it's mainly because I haven't been disappointed with anything that they've sent me. I thought they did a, a pretty good job. And um, it wasn't like they reached out and paid me for reviews or anything. I haven't been paid for reviews, by the way. That's like something people always ask. And no, I, I don't get paid. <laughs> um, but I actually bought their whiskey first because I had been told, hey, you should try this brand. And so I tried it. Uh, so for that reason, got me interested in them. And then they sent me other stuff. And I was like, oh, this other stuff isn't bad either. And so for that reason, I would say they're a pretty good up-and-comer. Shout out to a couple other Ohio brands, though, since I am in Ohio. Watershed Distillery is pretty good. I used to go to a, play, a winery around me that made a Manhattan, their version of a Manhattan, with Watershed Bourbon, and it was really good. Um, and 
Minglewood is very close to me. I haven't had their just plain bourbon, though. I've only ever had their flavored stuff. So I, I want to try their plain bourbon as well and see how it is. Shout out to small distilleries because small distilleries usually uh, rock. And I, I like supporting small businesses as much as I can. Okay, moving on to the next question. This is actually funny because I just said I like supporting the small businesses. Thoughts on local distilleries versus the big boys. I think I've answered something similar to this before, but I will answer it again. And my thought is that both have their place. Um, I like the big boys for being able to recommend it to people and being pretty comfortable in that decision because, you know, I know that lots of people really like this brand. So if I'm recommending something to somebody who's new to the hobby... I really don't want to scare them away with a bad bourbon or a bad whiskey. And so I usually go to the big brands for that. Also, they're widely distributed. And being somebody who makes content that is observed slash listened to worldwide, I like to mention things that I think people can get their hands on. And the big boys are good for that as well. Now, I do like local distilleries. And as I just mentioned, I like supporting the small businesses. And local distilleries are always cool because... Most of the time they have a story. Most of the time you can do like a tour and you can learn about them. And most of the time they have this sense of spirit in spirit. It's like a pun. I didn't even realize they have a sense of spirit for the local area. They have a sense of spirit for being from Ohio and being from Columbus, for example. Um, I'm not from Columbus, but I'm talking about just other distilleries that I've interfaced with. And I like that. And I think it's really good to support smaller businesses. You know, you never know which local distillery is going to end up being one of the big boys. You never really know. And so for people who I'm not afraid to scare away from whiskey, people who I know like whiskey, then I'm not afraid to recommend them some of the the local guys or the, the smaller distilleries. But the big boys are good for the type of content that I put out because once again, people from all over see it or hear it if it's the podcast, see it if it's TikTok and Instagram. And so I like to recommend things that people can get their hands on. I don't like to recommend things that people are going to message me and be like, this isn't even available anywhere except for Ohio. And I'll be like, ah, I'm sorry. <laughs> so that's my answer to that. I think they both have their place. And I think they both put out good whiskey. Big boys, local distilleries. Depending on the distillery, you can get great whiskey. You can get crap whiskey. Just depends. Okay, moving on to the next question. How do liquor store barrel picks work? As somebody from Ohio, that's a great question. No, uh, you'll, I'll explain why that's a great question for somebody from Ohio. But I will first talk about how they normally work. And so liquor store barrel picks are when a liquor store approaches a distillery and they usually try different whiskeys and they say, I want to buy this entire barrel from myself or for myself, from you, for myself. And so they get this entire barrel bottled, and all of those bottles go to that liquor store. And that's the only way to ever get whiskey from that barrel. And my first experience with this was actually in a different state. And I was like, is it legal to even do this? And that's why I was confused, because in Ohio, the answer is no. <laughs> because there aren't any privately owned liquor stores, so this just doesn't happen in Ohio. It's all state-owned. But in different states, when you can have privately owned liquor stores, a liquor store themselves will approach the distillery, pick a barrel, and then they'll have that whole barrel bottle. Now, I live in Ohio. We have state-controlled liquor. And so what happens is OHLQ is like our... Ohio Liquor Facebook page and website and all those things. Uh, basically, the Ohio Liquor Agency or whatever they're called. <laughs> I don't actually know the name. Agency is my guess. They approach 
the distilleries and they'll get a few barrels usually and they will have a taster pick these barrels have somebody who knows what they're doing pick these barrels and they'll purchase the whole barrels and then they'll have it bottled obviously and sell that and they'll distribute it pretty evenly throughout Ohio. Uh, so I actually do have an Ohio store pick. It's called a store pick, but it's more like an Ohio barrel pick because it's the state of Ohio. Um, I do have a Yellowstone, uh, store pick at the moment. And there was another one. I don't remember. There's another brand that I was going to try to get my hands on and it was gone before I got there. But it's pretty cool, and a lot of times, like with Ohio at least, they will list out these notes that the professional taster said they got from them, things like that. And then you can kind of try to get the specific barrel because the barrel is written on it. So I think that's pretty cool. And it's also cool just because it's something that nobody else will have. But that kind of stinks if you really, really like it because you're never going to get your hands on it again probably. You can get your hands on something similar, but you're never going to get your hands on that barrel again. So that is how store picks normally work, and that is how store picks work in Ohio. Um, I don't know where you're from. You might be from Ohio, or you might be from a, a different state that doesn't like Ohio. I'm not familiar with what other states' laws are like, except for when I've gone to other states and asked them about their laws. Um, but that's how it works in Ohio. Normally, it would be a private store doing something like that, and then it's something that's only available in that store, so you'll only ever get it from that store. Small plug for barrel picks, though, uh, they're pretty awesome a lot of the times. You are getting something that nobody else can get their hands on, and usually because they are professionally picked, professionally tasted, and somebody is picking the best barrel that they think they can find, um, because of that, it's usually pretty solid whiskey. Uh, I haven't been disappointed with a store pick before. Okay, last but certainly not least, this is going to be a fun one to round out the questions. What is the most I've ever spent on a bottle? The answer is a lot less than you might think. Because I want to preface this with, first of all, I started drinking whiskey in college. So I had very little money. I've only been out of college for a year. And since then, I've gotten married and bought a house. <laughs> so I'm not exactly splurging on very much. But there is a different reason for this. And the different reason is a lot of times if I want to try something very expensive, I will try it at a bar first if there's a bar that has it, which is a big if sometimes. But a lot of times I will try to find it on a menu and try it there. And usually that's enough to satisfy my curiosity. I'm like, okay, I know what that tastes like. The reason being that after you get above like, I'm going to say $60, $60 is probably the number for bourbon, but it's probably a little higher for scotch. But after you get beyond $60, the law of diminishing returns kicks in for sure. And I'm not saying it's not worth buying a bottle over $60. I've bought plenty of bottles over $60. But I'm just saying that I get a lot more picky with my bottles that are over $60, maybe over $80. It just depends. But obviously, the higher the dollar amount, the pickier I get. And so I find myself pretty satisfied with trying it at a, a restaurant or something, especially if they have good glasses that I can really get a good tasting of it. Um, and so for that reason, I don't overspend on whiskey too much. Now, do I think in the future, I'm going to be the type of person who buys very expensive bottles? Probably. <laughs> but as I mentioned, I've been out of college for a year now. And so I'm not exactly rolling around in money. <laughs> so, um, that is the very candid, very real answer. Um, and I think the most I've ever spent on a bottle, if I, <sighs> I want to say it was either 100 or 120. I'm going to say it was in the realm of $100 because if it wasn't, if it was over the realm of $100, then I would have really 
remembered it most likely. But like I've bought a lot that are close to that price range. Like I'm for sure the barrel seagrass that I just bought in Michigan because um, they don't have it in Ohio. For sure that was in the 80s or 90s. But I don't, like I said, if it was well over 100, I would remember. Actually, the most expensive bottle that I currently have was actually a gift. It's the Johnny Walker Blue Label that I have. Um, and a couple of the more expensive bottles that I have are gifts. But like I said, I'll try the expensive things at a bar. And you might be saying to yourself, oh, you'll spend $50 on a glass of whiskey, but you won't spend $200 on a bottle of whiskey. And the reason is a lot of times that glass of whiskey that I spend $50 on is not the type of whiskey that I could get a bottle of for $200. For example, uh, I spent $40 on old Rip Van Winkle, which I want to say resells at like $400 on the secondary market. It's pretty cheap if you can find it, but you'll never, ever, ever, ever see it. And so I think that was $40 for the glass. And I think... I think this is a big, I think, because the secondary market changes so much, but I think it's around $400 in the secondary market. So it's expensive and I'm not going to spend $400 on a bottle, but I'll absolutely spend $40 on a glass. And so that is the most I've ever spent on a bottle. I'm going to say $100. I'm going to say it was probably $100 because like I said, I have a few that are in like the 80s and 90s and I'm sure one of those crossed the $100 threshold, but I just don't know which one. So I can honestly say that I don't overspend on bottles super often. And that's just the fact of the matter. But I, I have been very, very blown out of the park in the $80 to $100 range. So I'm certain I'd be very blown out of the park in the $200 to $400 range without a doubt. <laughs> but I'm just not there yet. So that is the answer to that question. And thank you for that question because that was a little bit of fun. But that is all I've got for this episode in terms of questions. But we do still have our mystery review. Now, this whiskey, I did already take a drink of it in between the last two questions, actually. And it is giving me strong fruitiness with a very pale type of sugar. Pale meaning not brown sugar, not molasses, not caramel, but almost as if it was the glaze on a donut. And so hopefully, if you've been listening for a while, you've narrowed it down to at least two, and you know that it's either Pendleton or Middle West Spirits, because those are the only ones that I've ever compared to donuts before. And I am drinking Middle West Spirits Straight Wheat Whiskey. We had this on the show on episode 50, if I'm not mistaken, and I really enjoyed it coming back to it. I was like, wow, this is almost better than I remember, and I'm reminded why I liked it so much. So if you haven't had the chance to try it, you should give it a try. Wheat whiskeys are a little bit different and a little bit fun to try to learn and kind of expand your horizon into, and I've enjoyed it so far. I've enjoyed the wheat whiskey, the Middle West Spirits wheat whiskey, I should say. And so that's what I was drinking today. Hopefully it helped you out a little bit by doing that. I like to think it's almost like a blind tasting. It can help you learn the palates of the whiskeys a little bit better. If not, it's at least a little bit fun. But that's all I've got for this episode today. Thank you all for listening. I'll leave you with learn to drink, drink to learn. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Whiskey Noobs. If you like the show, please make sure that you tell anyone you know who you think would be interested in the hobby or in the podcast. That way we can help to spread the word and continue to grow. Please also make sure to review the show on Apple Podcasts and share our posts on Instagram at whiskey underscore noobs or on TikTok at whiskey noobs podcast. Uh, it only takes a couple of minutes and it really does a lot to help spread the word and grow the podcast. Also, there is an email list for the show. If you'd like to join, you can just send an email to whiskey noobs podcast at gmail.com and in the subject line put email list i will add you to the list and then you'll be updated every month with the whiskeys that we will be drinking on the show throughout the month that way you can drink right along with us and see if you're getting the same notes once again thank you so much for listening to the show
The Whiskey Noobs podcast does not support underage or otherwise irresponsible consumption of alcohol.